Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion, unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. Well, hello again, and thank you all for joining me for another story from our tragic kingdom. While I find the appropriate page in our book, would you mind answering a question for me? What type of story is this for you? Something to listen to while you're commuting or on a walk, perhaps? Or am I reading to help carry you through some of those pesky chores? Or perhaps this is a bedtime story. If it is a bedtime story, do you ever wonder what happens when you fall asleep listening to this kind of tale? Do the heroes, or even the monsters that we read about, visit you in your dreams? And can you ever be 100% sure that the version of the story that plays when you're awake is the same one that sneaks out of your speakers when you're sleeping? (laughs) Of course you can be sure about that, that is not how podcasts work, and of course... More importantly, we'd never do anything quite so sinister. But, as it so happens, the links between dreams and reality are the topic of our story this evening. So, to those of you who may have already drifted off into a restful sleep during this introduction, I say, Alexa, play Andy's horrific scream playlist at 3am, volume maximum. And for everyone else, I invite you to join me for a story by the incredible, the incomparable, and the incidentally not locked in this small cupboard behind me, Luke Condor. Dedicated to Neil, this is the Boy King and the Frog. On nights when it was much too warm to sleep, as the young and flustered Michael Palatino kicked at his bedsheets, 
a frog would come to visit him. A little green thing that sat at the window, with soupy eyes in which starlight flickered. Its skin looked to be the flavour of pond scum, and with each erratic breath, its gut stretched like a chewing gum bubble that wanted to pop, but never did. The frog's name was Ivan. No, Sir Ivan. At least, that's what Michael called him as he stared from atop his Star Wars bedsheets, as he slipped between dreams and back again. Dreams in which he was no longer Michael Palatino, no longer the shy child from the middle of England. Dreams in which he didn't have to wake up at seven in the morning to dress himself in itchy school clothes. Dreams in which he didn't have to fight back the throttling chest pains as he walked across the school quad from maths to science, past the gates where the smokers hid, Wilson and Daniel and Fabian and the rest. In Michael's dreams, he was his true self, the boy king who rode on a flying fish the size of a horse, the boy king who hunted the lands for screaming spiders and hogs that recited poetry to the moon, the boy king who attended bountiful feasts in alabaster hallways, served by mice in men's clothing, laughed at rats in jester's tights, the boy king who would return to his floating throne of charred marble, wear his crown of canary bones and rubies, and oversee his land, the kingdom of will and worry. Michael much preferred it there. There was no alarm clock, there was no broccoli, no time limits on his PlayStation, no homework, and he didn't have to see the bearded man, the one who left each night after the sunset and returned each morning after it rose, the man who kissed Michael's mother like it wasn't an insult to the memory of his father, the man who asked him time and time again to call him dad. One particularly warm evening, Michael drifted, returned once more to the royal affairs of his dreams. And as he did, Sir Ivan, sitting by the window, placed his webbed fingers against the glass and licked his lips. In the next room over, Michael's mother, Anna Palatino, didn't dream of magical kingdoms. She only dreamed of getting a decent night's sleep. It was too hot, you see. Much too hot. The AC did bugger all hot. The weather forecast was bollocks hot. It was already 2.30 in the morning hot. She wasn't going to be able to function at the office tomorrow if she didn't get any sleep hot. It was too fucking goddamn piss in your eyes hot. Maybe try to calm down, she told herself. Maybe close your eyes. Maybe count your breaths. Maybe count down from ten. Maybe ease yourself into the sleep. Anna couldn't remember where she'd first picked up this trick of counting down, and she couldn't remember it ever working for her. But still, she sipped from the tepid water by her bed, closed her eyes, and began to count. Sir Ivan, the frog, still sitting outside Michael's bedroom window, heard the moths gathering. They were desperate to get inside, to get to the light spilling from Michael's bedside lamp, He glanced at them, felt his belly rumble, and even snatched a couple from the air and munched them up quick. But he always returned to the task at hand, the task of waiting. Like the moths, Sir Ivan the Frog was also desperate to get inside, but not because of the lamplight, as alluring as it was. 
but because of the question. What if? The two words that busied around his tiny skull. What if? What if? What if? Sir Ivan didn't know where those thoughts came from, and he'd done his best to ignore them. To sit idly by the wet and marshy fields with his pondkin, to snatch flies, to laze along the surface of the water, and to fertilise some fresh spawn. For most frogs, that would be enough, but not for Sir Ivan, who imagined a world in which he was standing tall and upright, without mucus covering his skin, a world in which he could fully spread his fingers and toes. And for a reason he did not know, these imaginings brought him to that bedroom window every night, pining to get inside, staring at the boy who didn't know how lucky he was, and Sir Ivan would scream at the glass, scream curses at the boy, let his anger and his anguish slip through his rubbery lips. In Sir Ivan's ears, the sounds were harsh and pained, but to most others, they were little more than a funny ribbit noise. Anna Palatino continued to count her breaths. She inhaled deep and exhaled slow. She kept her eyes shut. Anna counted down. The boy king, Michael, defended the kingdom of Will and Worry against a vicious assault from the phosphorescent wolves and the butterfly riders. He'd already lost most of his soldiers during a surprise attack and his flying fish had been shot out of the sky with a crystal arrow. But as long as the bridge holds, we'll be adequately protected, the boy king told his chieftains before turning back to see his most trusted advisor standing behind him, Sir Ivan. Prepare the pots of oil, the boy king continued. I want them hot enough to strip flesh from bone if anyone dares step near my drawbridge. A ferret in chainmail armour, bowed her head before running to deliver the orders. We'll make it through this, the boy king said. Won't we? Sir Ivan didn't say a word. He only stared, only licked his lips. And so did the frog by the window. Not the Sir Ivan of Michael's dreams, but the real Sir Ivan. The one who was doing his best to ignore the warnings from the nightly breeze telling him to turn back, to return to his home, to his pondkin. But Sir Ivan couldn't quite do it, couldn't quite turn away. Another scream erupted from his mouth, this one a scream of determination, a battle cry, a proclamation that he would not turn back, he would never turn back. Again, to most ears, it sounded like Ribbit. Anna made it to the count of three before she punched the air in front of her. She grabbed her mouth and silently screamed into her palms. It wasn't working. Nothing was working. And yet she was supposed to get up in the morning and be the perfect mother for her son. Get him out of bed, ready for school, prep his lunch, drop him off, and then do a full eight-hour shift at the office. She gave up and went to the bathroom. Running the cold tap, she filled her glass and looked at herself in the mirror. In that moment, she had never seen something she detested more. She'd always had fantasies of being a supermum, the type of mum who could spin a thousand plates and not drop one. But then Peter died, and it seemed she could barely do anything right anymore. Michael barely spoke to her, 
barely said a word to anyone, and to say the relationship between her son and her new fiancé was strained would be an understatement. She put the glass to her forehead and stepped into the hallway. Carefully, she poked her head inside Michael's bedroom and saw him fast asleep, one leg under the covers and one leg over them. Head beaded with sweat, wet hair gathered beneath his neck, and his lamp was still on. Anna sighed, placed her glass down, and then tiptoed around the bed. She went to turn off his lamp, but stopped for a second, and simply stared at her son. He was almost twelve now, and she could already see the faint line of fuzz above his top lip. Puberty was changing him. Every day he looked more and more mature, more like Peter. I love you, she whispered, before clicking off the lamp. She left, but not before opening the bedroom window, figuring it might be nice to let a little fresh air in. Sleep well, she said, maybe whispered, maybe only thought. She went back to her bed and finished her water. She laid down, closed her eyes, and began to count once more. This time, she only got as far as seven. The whispers of wind howled at the frog by the window, but he paid them no mind, and instead slipped in through the opening. He hopped a single time from the sill to the bed. Michael's skin beneath his feet was quick and warm. Another hop, then one more, and he was on Michael's chest, staring at the fluttering eyelids and murmuring lips. And for reasons beyond his understanding, perhaps the answers coming from the beating heart beneath his feet, he finally understood the question that had plagued him for so long. What if? What if? What if all it took was a kiss? Then, with his webbed fingers resting on Michael's chin, he leaned forwards and kissed him on the lips. He wasn't sure if he was supposed to use his tongue, so he did anyway, just to be safe. In Michael's dreams, he was on his knees, beaten, bloody, and thrown before what remained of his subjects. The drawbridge was open, flooded with invaders from across the Yellow Mountains. His castle didn't stand a chance, not when his closest advisers had acted against him. His crown of canary bones was in pieces by his feet, next to the bloodied head of his rat jester. Why? was all he could say as his betrayer knelt down before him. Sir Ivan cackled throatily, but said nothing. He continued to chuckle as he picked the largest of the rubies from the ground and held it high for all to see. When he was finished laughing, he pointed at the largest of the phosphorescent wolves before nodding to the pots of oil behind them. Michael closed his eyes, steeled himself for what was about to happen. Anna Palatino dreamed she was surrounded by children, a sea of them surrounding her, popping bubble wrap with wet fingers, sucking the last of their milkshakes through soggy straws, blowing bubbles with blood-red chewing gum, popping, laughing, demanding, screaming her name over and over. Anna didn't know why, but she was crying. The following morning, as the grass and the flowers outside glittered with morning dew, as the golden sunshine soaked the fields, a man with a beard pulled up his van outside Michael and Anna Palatino's house. 
He stretched his neck and cracked his knuckles. As he rose and gathered his work back, he heard a faint noise, like an odd whisper tickling in his ear, and for a reason he couldn't pin down, he looked towards Michael's bedroom window. He heard that peculiar noise twice more, and both times he found his eyes drawn to the young boy's bedroom, once more when he opened the gate, and then a final time as he stepped onto the garden path. That time, he slipped on something, felt like he'd stepped in dog shit. Whoops, he said, lifting his steel-toed work boot and inspecting the mess beneath. It was a frog, flattened. Its innards spilled out through its mouth like it had sicked up pea soup, toothpaste, and maybe its own arse cheeks. Oh, for fuck's sake, the man said, dragging his boot across the garden grass in an effort to clean it before stepping inside the house. Morning, he called out to Anna, who was already up and boiling the kettle, making tea and toast for both him and her son, already washing up the dishes and taking the clothes from the drying rack and folding them. He hadn't known Anna for all that long, but he knew that he loved her. How could he not? She was a mother, a worker, and the most gorgeous girl he'd ever laid eyes on. She was a superhero, and he was her Lois Lane, her Mary Jane Watson, and he was happy to be so. Morning, she said, as she stepped into the hallway. You sleep any better? I slept about as good as I could do, bit warm. Hmm, sticky weather. Sticky, stupid weather. Give me a kiss, he said, and a little to his surprise, she did. Is the kiddo up? Don't think so. Hmm. That's weird. Weird? Why? Just a second ago, when I got out the van, I could have sworn I heard his voice, but he sounded so far away, like he was shouting at me. But that's not the weird part. It's not? The man placed his coat on the stair banister and took a moment. Anna rubbed his shoulders. It felt so nice that he nearly drifted to sleep there and then. Well? She said. Huh? He opened his eyes, held back a yawn. Well, what? What was the weird thing? Oh, yeah, so... I heard his voice, but it sounded so far away, so tiny. And the strangest thing, he called me Dad. Elsewhere, already several miles away, a peculiarly greasy individual stole away on a train, heading from somewhere they did not know, to somewhere else that they did not know. As they watched the world slip by, they spread their non-webbed fingers and placed them against the glass. They dreamed of this for so long, of life on the other side of the window. And now that they were here, now that their question had been answered, it was the taste of flies that they missed the most. I hope you enjoyed your trip today to the Tragic Kingdom. The Boy King and the Frog was written by Luke Condor, narrated by Andy Conduit Turner, produced by James Barnett, aka Jimmy Horace. With an opening theme composed by Duncan Muggleton, based on the original music by Tom Robson. Additional music in today's episode has been provided by Dark Fantasy Studio and Chris Zabriskie, and sound effect provided by freesound.org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. 
A quick thanks to our community managers, Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch, and Joshua Boucher and Carolyn O'Brien for helping with our submission reading. And of course to Ben Errington for creating a social media fairy tale. Each tweet a new adventure, every post a happy ever after. Luke Condor makes stuff. You can follow more of Luke's work at lukecondor.com and that's Condor spout with a K. Andy Conduit-Turner is a writer, editor and podcaster from the UK with a love of horror across all mediums. You can find his stories featuring on several volumes of The Other Stories, his comics published by Horde Comics and more. You'll find Andy himself at AndyCTWrites on Twitter, on the Horror Hangout podcast discussing the best and worst of horror films. Oh, and he's standing right behind you. James Barnett is the producer of the Night's End podcast, a short story fiction podcast with tales of horror and the paranormal. Search for it wherever you get your podcasts. You can also catch other works of his at jamesbarnettcreative.com. The Other Stories is a production of the Story Studio Hawk and Cleaver and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means, share the hell out of it. So, until next time. 